Hey guys, it's Abdul for the good folks over at Leon Tailoring, 809 North Delaware, downtown Annapolis. Start your 2024 off right with some new clothes from Leon Tailoring. Something new, something tailor-made, something ready-made, or something custom-made. they got the finest in men's and ladies' apparels, and they also take care of you as well. They've been around for almost a near 100 years and some change, and don't stick around that long unless you're getting it right. So get on over to Leon Tailoring, tell them Abdul sent you, and they'll take care of you. Leon Tailoring, 809 North Delaware in downtown Indianapolis. Well, it never hurts to stop in and check in with our school choice advocate friends, see how things are going in the world of school choice and vouchers and universal vouchers and pre through K-12 education. All of the fun stuff to join us in studio is our good friend Betsy Wilder from the Institute for Quality Education. Not Hoosiers for Quality Education, that's the political arm, which is a whole different She's here in her Institute for Quality Education. So, Betsy, how you been? I've been great, Abdul. How have you been? Ah, been good. Uh, like I said, the blessed keeps us busy, along yes, with all, it does. all this stuff. So, how things going in the school choice world in Indiana these days? Fantastic. Um... You know, we are super excited. As you know, last year there were significant expansions to uh, several of Indiana's school choice programs. And so this school year we have nearly 70,000 kids um, getting help participating in the voucher program. So getting to access non-public schools of their choice with the help of that program. We're in the second year of the Education Scholarship Account Program, which is currently focused and restricted to special needs students at a certain income level. And um, that program grew from just over 100 kids to uh, over 400 kids, close to 500 kids using that this year. So exciting there. Um, Charter school enrollment is up. Public to public transfer continues to be popular. So school choices uh, sweep in Indiana. Uh, When you look at uh, where school choice started uh, back in 2000, what, 2008, I think? 2001 was the charter school law. Yeah. Yeah. Um, How things change over the past 20-something odd years when it comes to school choice? It's unbelievable, right? If you you think about only two decades ago, um, your choices were really the school district in which you lived, that public school system. Um, Or if you happen to be a family of means, maybe a a private school that you could uh, afford. And here we are 20 years later. There's all kinds of models out there and new ones appearing every day when it comes to K-12 education. And we have over 20% of Indiana's 1.1-ish million students um, attending a school other than the one where they live. Now, one of the things I always hear is that... uh that when you brought it, when school choice was brought in, it took money away from traditional public schools. It hurt the neighborhood schools. How is that? I, I I don't buy it because first of all, it's not the schools' money; it's the taxpayers' money, number one. But that neither that be that be neither here nor there. Uh, how is those sort of how is that sort of misconception sort of changed going forward? Well, I think those that oppose school choice kind of continue to use that mantra and that false narrative, and. Um, but I think it's, school choice is becoming more accepted. It's it becoming more accepted nationally. It's becoming more accepted here in Indiana. And as you know, in Indiana, for a number of years now, we've really been where education funding is about funding an individual student, uh, not a system or a school type. And so dollars invested in education are following that child to the school of their choice. So it's not taking money away um, it is money following the student. So if a school isn't providing um, the educational options or quality that a family is looking for, then they take their student and that and the dollars associated with that student, and they go to a school that is meeting that need. 
Um, you know, the largest farm form of school choice in Indiana is public to public transfer. You don't say. I'm, right. And so that's people getting dollars. I'm shocked. Next thing you tell me there's gambling going on that's here. Really? Get, that's people getting dollars um, and, and importing students, right? So, um, you know, as in everything, I think there are districts that are winners and there are districts that are losers in terms of enrollment um, and therefore in terms of funding. Uh, one of the big things I've been, I've been hearing about school choice, uh, particularly as of late, has been the issue that school choice, uh, whether it's you know vouchers or charter schools, are primar- primarily an urban, an urban related area, like whether it's Indianapolis, Fort Wayne, Evansville, and there's no real school choice out in the rural areas. You know, get outside the Donut Counties, whether you're going to you know, you know Danville or uh, I'm sorry, or, or where they're going to Richmond, Indiana. Or New Albany. So, how is school choice working in the in the in the rural, more rural areas? Sure. So, so I think there is some truth to that in in the charter school sector. Um, we only have about 120 charter schools in Indiana, and the vast majority of them are in more of your populous communities or your urban centers. There are one or two in in smaller, more I would argue more suburban than rural yeah. areas. Not the same though on the non-public side. Um, Every county in the state has uh, somebody participating and at least one non-public school participating in the school choice program and the voucher program. So there are options um, all across the state, particularly in rural communities. And then the other thing that we're starting to see is this new phenomenon of micro schools um, or learning pods. And that's really taking off in more rural settings, right? These are where, you know, Two or maybe five or six families are getting together and um, having a teacher or two kind of do a, a modern 2024 version of a one-room schoolhouse for their for their kids, and um, that's starting to take off and become even more popular in rural communities. Um, our, best, our guest on the program today uh, is Betsy Wiley. Betsy is with the Institute for Quality Education. They're advocates of school choice and vouchers here uh, in the state of Indiana. Uh, Betsy, one other thing that also has popped up, too, has been our teacher shortage. Are charters and uh, choice schools being affected by the teacher shortage, just like traditional public schools? No question. Uh, attracting and retaining top talent in the classroom is a challenge for all school types. Um, and, you know, certainly value teachers of all types. My parents are both retired public school teachers, but it is a challenge. It's a it's a even greater challenge uh, for non-public schools and charter schools because they don't have the same financial resources as our traditional district-run schools to compete um, when it comes to teacher pay. But yes, they face the, the same types of challenges, and it is something that I think the state is going to have to continue to work on when we get to teacher attraction and retention. Uh, what's the legislature done with school choice this session? Or have they done much of anything? Well, yeah. I, know, I know they've done a lot of stuff, but the, our friends in other industries aren't too happy with lawmakers right now. But the- so we, um, not much has been done on school choice this legislative session, unfortunately. Um, there were a couple bills. Uh, part of that's because it's a non-budget year. Um, there were a couple bills out there. Senator Buchanan, who's been a great champion, um, had a bill to expand eligibility for the ESA program uh, to go beyond special needs students to make it a true pilot. That, unfortunately, did not receive a hearing in the Senate. So um, there's still an opportunity to revive that maybe in the second half. Um, Senator Mishler had a bill 
um, that he introduced and took a little bit of testimony on and said he wasn't going to be moving it this year, maybe looking at it next year, which um, I will say from a positive had universal choice. It was for everybody um, in an ESA sort of like model um, a lot of kind of details on that one still to need to be worked out. But I think it's a signal, right, and I hope a positive one, that next year, uh, in a budget year, that Indiana will um, expand its voucher program by removing the income limit and making it available to every student in the state of Indiana. So that will truly become universal. Um, and so I think the future's bright. Our guest on the program today is Betsy Wiley, uh, the Institute for Quality Education. They are advocates for school choice here in the state of Indiana. So we're happy to be talking with her uh, on the program today. Betsy, uh, recently we had a big uh, report on IRE test scores. They had gone, they basically uh, dropped from, I want to say, 90% uh, 10 years ago when our mutual friend Tony Bennett was superintendent of public instruction. Uh, to today, where they're like now in the 80%, uh, kids not able, not able to read, lawmakers are trying to figure out you know, what to do, you know, put more money in the, in the early reading programs, because you know as well as anyone else, if you can't read by third grade, it causes a whole bunch of problems later on down the road. My question is, first of all, your thoughts on our reading scores, being in sort of the education sphere. Number two, how do we fix that, and how, or more specifically, how can school choice help fix that? Yeah, no, great question and really important. And third grade reading or literacy is getting a lot of attention uh, nationally, but here in Indiana this session there are a number of bills that are dealing with it, um, which we're very supportive of. You're right. So um, the focus on third grade reading post-Dr. Bennett um, hasn't really been there. And so we've seen it drop, and now, you know, um, 20% of our students can't read on grade level at the end of third grade. And to your point, um, the old adage is, you know, you kind of learn to read um, from pre-K to third grade, and then post-third grade, you read to learn. And so huge disservice if we're advancing these students without the capability of reading. Um, in terms of how school choice does it, there's a celebration at the state house this Thursday morning um, to honor those schools that have hit the state's benchmark goal of 95% of third graders passing iRead 3. There are a little over 200 schools of all types will be honored at that. And half of those are non-public schools participating in the choice program and a handful are charter schools. And so I think what you're again seeing is um, – People are taking advantage of choice and getting their student in where they fit in in terms of their educational environment. And then those schools of choice are excelling, and they're excelling in key things like literacy. Uh, one of the uh, big issues that is out there, too, uh, is this issue that's, that's always popped up that when a kid leaves a uh, – the, 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 the myth was that a kid would uh, go to a charter school, they would be there until the school gets get the money, then the charter schools would send the kid back to – traditional public schools have to remind people that's not how it works. There are certain count days and certain attendance records. Help us out with that, please, if you could. Yeah, so you can't really game the system. People have gotten a little wise to that. Um, and so you're right. There are count days and many kind of bases off the count days. But they're also, particularly like in the voucher world, things are prorated. So if you were to leave the school mid-year, um, you're refunding money. 
right? You don't get to keep money for a kid you're no longer educating. So uh, again, kind of another little myth that's been perpetuated out there of like, we keep the kid till count day and then we shove them off to you and you get to educate the kid, but don't get any funding for it. That's what I thought. So I just needed you to like, uh, yeah. like no, that's not right. There's something, there's something just not right with that whole whole thing. Um, also, uh, with our school choice universe, I know another issue has been uh, truancy and uh, absenteeism. And as, we, as I joking tell us about this, like 30 years ago when I was a young reporter in Springfield, Illinois, you could hold class in somebody's living room and parents still wouldn't show up or some parents wouldn't show up. So how do you get those parents more involved? Obviously, if you're taking the time to put your kid in the school you think is best for them, obviously you're paying attention. No question. I mean, I I do think that that's another benefit of choice, right, is that you are having engaged parents making uh, intentional decisions when it comes to their child's education. And so they're invested in it and they're going to make sure that those kids are there and attending and, and um, getting the benefit of that educational choice. Truancy and chronic absenteeism is becoming uh I think it was always an issue. It's been exacerbated, I think, a little bit coming out of the pandemic. Um, How we deal with it, I'm not sure. There are some pieces of legislation uh, around it. I'm not sure that you can effectively um, legislate. You can't make somebody a good parent. You can't legislate that, right? Um, I'm not sure you can necessarily legislate go to school. I mean, we, we can, but I don't know that it makes somebody do it. So I've seen some creative things done at some non-public schools, and they've really seen a change in their chronic absenteeism. Things like if you don't miss, you know, if you only miss one or two days, um, then you get to you get to pick and you get to opt out of one of your semester exams. You know, pick a class. You You don't like algebra, you don't have to take that semester final or whatever. If you are good, you know, if you're good at attending or whatever. So doing some creative things like that, that might be an incentive for students to come to school, I think is a good way to handle it as well. Betsy Wiles with us, the Institute for College Education for a few more minutes on the program today. Uh, Betsy, uh, when we look at the future of school choice in Indiana, obviously uh, universal vouchers is one of you folks' goals. One of the, one of the complaints I hear is uh, if, you're, if you're a parent of limited means or, you know, financially struggling, for, the, for them that makes perfect sense, but should somebody who makes two hundred grand a year should they be entitled to uh, to a voucher as well when they can afford to send their kids to whatever school needs they need to go to? Yeah, so I don't. I um, you hit a, a hot button for me here. Um, <laughs> no, I can tell by your posture. Yeah. In the chair. <laughs> I I don't believe in this argument, right? So number one, it's taxpayer funded, and everybody's paying the taxes, and so I think taxpayer funded um, should follow the kid. Number two is we don't seem to have any issue with um, a wealthy individual going to a public school and getting $8,000 per people in tax dollars to attend a traditional public school. But if you take that same family and that same child and you say, okay, they'd like to go to a non-public school and use 90% of that $8,000 in terms of a voucher to help supplement them, all of a sudden we object to those tax dollars going to that. So... We don't seem to object to the amount of money. We don't seem to object to the fact that tax dollars should be used to support a student's education in Indiana. The objection seems to be we don't want it to support a non-public education. 
right? That it seems to be defenders of, and I would argue, you know, this is going back to the teachers' unions and those types of things. Because again, you could be a millionaire, billionaire, whatever, and if your kid goes to the public school, we're all about tax dollars following the kid to a public school. We're just not about them for some. We certainly at IQE are for vouchers for everyone, but those who don't like it, that's when they that's when they seem to start objecting. Betsy Wiley was with us at the Institute for College Education. Betsy, uh, one of the, I want to say early on in the charter school debate discussion, charters got less money than traditional public schools, but also charters didn't necessarily, but part of the, part of the, part, I want to say part of the trade-off was, and correct me if I'm wrong here, is okay, we'll give you less money, but you also get less rules and less sort of overhead to have to follow. If charter school funding is, par- is on par with traditional school, traditional public school funding, does it mean that the charter schools have to go, no, does it is it fair to have to make the charges apply by the, uh, abide by the same rules as traditional public schools? So no. Okay. So charter schools, by their very definition, are meant to be less regulated and more sort of a public um, version to have innovation and creativity. Um, and to explore education outside of a traditional public school setting, but still in a public school way, right? So more than just not having collective bargaining, that's kind of the easiest regulation that everybody sort of cites, but they should have other freedoms. And and so you'll find charter schools that are focused on STEM education, charter schools that are focused on foreign language immersion, charter schools, right, that are focused on the arts. Yeah, all these kinds of things. And so that should continue. What you don't want to do is create a system that says they're the same because then what you've done is is literally you you just have the one system right so if you say um you have to follow all the same rules then there's then there's no difference right and so that takes the very sort of innovation and creativity that is meant to happen and is why our charter schools are thriving and outperforming our district schools even though they are funded those students are funded at thousands of dollars less here in indianapolis almost eight thousand dollars less per kid uh, final question. So what's on uh, the agenda for next year? Well, number one is universal vouchers, um, is removing that income limit and making it so that any child in the state of Indiana can receive a voucher to attend a private school of their choice. So that's definitely number one. And a very close Second, if not 1B, um, is to continue to pursue equitable funding for our charter school students. They are funded at significantly less money uh, than a traditional pub- if they went to a traditional public school, and yet they um, academically outperform their traditional public schools, and they're doing a great job with students of color and students from uh, low-income families, and so we need to invest and fund those kids appropriately, and so that's going to be addressed. So those are one and one B. All right. Well, our guest on the program today has been Betsy Wiley, Institute for Quality Education. Not to be confused with Hoosiers for Quality Education. That's their sister political action committee. Betsy, my dear, thank you very much for being with us. Always good to talk to you. Thanks. This podcast was produced and edited by Chris Spangle and Leaders and Legends, LLC. If you're interested in starting a podcast or taking yours to the next level, please contact us at leadersandlegends.net.